days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us daily as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is it. This is our last week in the series, New Year, New Family. Have you guys enjoyed this series, right? Man, uh, yes, I think the Lord has done a lot in our midst. We have covered everything. We have looked at marriage. We've looked at singleness. We've looked at building a foundation. We have looked at all of those things. Just to give you a quick preview of what is coming, next week we will start a new series entitled Memento More, which is the phrase, remember your death. Welcome to church, right? Um, and what this is going to look at is going to look at a series of death, the afterlife, all of those things. I believe this is immensely relevant for us. And if you have questions, great, come, and hopefully we can answer those questions. And so that will start next week. But what we've been doing in this series, New Year, New Family, our goal was twofold. We said that what we wanted to do is we wanted to break down old foundations and build up new foundations for our family. We said that we all come from a family, we've inherited some things, and in order to build a new foundation, we need to tear some of those things down and build up on the Word of God. And our key passage was really in Joshua chapter 24. And it says this, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as a way of an illustration and introduction, I will never forget being at a youth conference. I had just uh, been hired full-time as a youth pastor, 
and a guy by the name of Mike Iaconali um, was speaking. And Mike uh, was involved with student pastors and all of that stuff. And he talked about the significance of how the Bible speaks about our children. And he said, and we saw it in those verses, this is a very famous illustration. You may be seeing this in leadership. But he said, when the Bible talks about our kids, it doesn't just talk about our children. It talks about our children's children. That the Bible speaks in a terminology generationally. And so today, when we look at the topic of parenting, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, in the years past, we've, we've spoken on how to discipline your kids and do stuff like that. All of those sermons are on our website. You can get into great detail on that. But today, I really want to look at the 30,000-foot view of this and really the big picture of when the Bible talks about parenting and it talks about generations, what does it mean? And, and Mike Iaconale summed it up sort of this way. When the Bible speaks, it speaks primarily in sort of three generations. You, your kids, and your kids' kids. Three generations. We see this with David, Solomon, Solomon's kids. I mean, we see a three-generation gap. And primarily, what we see are three types of people that sit in these chairs. Three types of generations. The, the first generation is known as a first chair generation. This is the committed, as they are called. Um, this is, think about it, as Tom Brokaw said, uh, the World War II generation, the greatest generation that's ever lived. Um, their first chair. They are committed. And even when it comes to their, a church family, first generation people, think of a Margaret and Ted Cross, the founders of Westside. These people were committed. It was in every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, giving of their money. They built this building with their bare hands. They are a committed generation. And then Mike Iaconale said the second generation is known as the compromised generation. That there is something that happens in the passing down of parenting that the second generation, no matter how committed the first generation is, the second generation is by default just less committed. And this generation, instead of being every Sunday, is when they grow up and they go to college, I'm not going to church anymore because, by God, I was in church every day of my life. I was a drug baby. I was drugged to church and all of that type of stuff. So they see a level of freedom and they take that freedom. And then the second chair generation gives way to what is known as a third chair generation. And this chair is known as the confused generation, which primarily is what I would say what we are seeing today. So what you have is fully committed. And look, you can look at a business. You can use this illustration for an organization, for anything. You have the founders, the committed, the, the life, our blood, sweat, and tears. And then we pass this on, and there's a level of freedom there. And we're not as committed because I saw what my parents did or what my boss did or what they did. And then the third generation, literally at this point, rejects 
what the first generation gave their life to. And Mike Iaconale used this illustration to say this, that every church, that every family, and that every organization is one chair away from collapsing. One chair. That when the Bible speaks in generations, it's not just about parenting in the moment now. It is thinking generationally. And that one chair literally hangs in the balance. D.A. Carson, as we get these chairs out of the way, says this, and this is a profound quote. One generation believes the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. And the third generation rejects the gospel. Why? How does this happen? Well, today there are endless subgroups of confessing Christians who invest an enormous amount of time and energy in one issue or the other. Abortion, pornography, homeschooling, women's ordination for or against, economic justice, a certain style of worship, the defense of a particular Bible translation, and countries have a full agenda of urgent demands. Not for a moment am I suggesting that we should not think about these things and throw our weight behind some of them. They are important. But when such matters devour most of our time and passion, each of us must ask this question. In what fashion am I actually focusing on the gospel? That is the heart of parenting. That yes, there are things that we are against, and yes, there are things that we have to teach, and yes, there are things that we have to know. But if we are raising our children and those kids back, did you know last Sunday with adult workers and kids, there were almost 80 people back there last Sunday? 80 people. That's incredible. But what are we doing with the gift that God has given us? Are we just teaching them to not listen to rap music and vote Republican or Democrat? I, I don't like what are we teaching them some isolated issue that it's really all about? And then they go to college and they see that level of freedom and their faith is challenged and they have no idea how to live out their faith. Every church, every family, every organization is one chair away from not existing. And the gospel is the heart of the issue. So the thesis and the big idea today is very simple. If I could define biblical parenting, I would say biblical parenting is this. Biblical parenting is the process of passing the gospel down to your children. That's it. That's the goal. That's the goal that you have as a parent. It is not, and listen, I'm sorry to just shatter and break your heart, but that baby ain't playing in the NBA. Love you, okay? Love you. Think sports are great, all of that. But listen, what I'm saying is it, the goal is not that they would go to college, get a good paying job, get the degree, and do all of that. At the end of the day, your goal as a parent and the command given by God is the process, that's a key phrase, a process 
of passing the gospel down to your kids. And here's what's so difficult with parenting. You never arrive. You never arrive. Now, some of you are like, the day they move out, Joker, is the day we arrive, man. We are good with that. But then, many of you who have kids who have their own kids and your grandparents, you realize now your level of parenting is almost more difficult now than when they were toddlers sticking their fingers in light sockets. You're like, this thing has completely changed. And, and, and can I say this just on the forefront? When I say that it is a process, please hear me. There is no book and there is no certified process, a cookie cutter process that if you do steps one through 10 guarantees the type of child that you raise. That does not exist. And if somebody sells you that book, you need to ask for a refund, okay? Now, there are biblical principles that you as a parent are in charge of to make sure. But, but let me say it this way. Here is one thing that I have learned from student ministry, pastoring, and being a parent myself. Around this topic of parenting, there is massive heartache and guilt and shame. Massive guilt and shame that you as a parent Believe the lie that your child is a direct reflection of who you are and your worth in this world. And if you have a rebellious child or you are in a season where things are not going as they should, you literally feel like God loves you less and you are a failure and it is all your fault. And can I just say something in here today? It is not, it is not your responsibility to produce godly children, okay? Now, let me say something, because you guys are on the edge of your seat. You're like, where is this joker going with this, okay? It is not your responsibility to produce godly children. Do you know why? We are Christians, we believe only God saves people. God saves people. I mean, look at this verse in Isaiah. I don't know how much clearer to say it to you. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Any questions? In the Hebrew, that means no other Savior, okay? And what we genuinely think as parents, because we do have influence, because we are, they are our major responsibility, all of those things, that it is our responsibility to produce godly children. But we cannot save people. We can't do that. So what is our job? Well, let me say it this way. It is your responsibility to see that your children have godly parents. It is not your responsibility to produce godly children. They are little human beings or bigger human beings who have a mind and a heart of their own. There is a day where they have to make a decision unto Jesus Christ. All of those types of things. But it is your responsibility to see that your children do have godly parents. So how do we do that? 
What do we do? Well, I think in Deuteronomy 6, there are two key passages or really two key concepts that you don't necessarily see right on the surface, but they are giant Bible themes and they are like the right hand and left hand of parenting. Please listen, this is crucial. They are grace and truth. That's it. That is what you have as a parent. Those are the concepts. That is where everything flows as you as a parent. And we see it right in the passage, in the context. When we see grace, we see in verse 21. When Moses tells the people of Israel, hey, there's going to be a day when your kid asks, hey, why can't I go see that movie? Or why can't I stay the night at so-and-so's house? And why every Sunday do we go and this community, why do we do all of that? And you as a parent say, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. That's grace. That's salvation. That's you literally saying, um, the reason why we do the things we do um, as a family in our family is because you need to know how God saved me. That's grace. But then there's also truth. Did you see how many times in the passage it says to teach your children, to teach your children, to teach your children. And this is what the truth is. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Listen, a major responsibility that we have as parents is to teach our children what the one and only truth is. We do not teach our children that everybody has their own truth and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. That is a massive, um, horrible worldview. What we teach our children is that there is a God who created everything that we see and this God has spoken to us in his word and everything that we weigh and every decision that we come to and the lens through which we look at the world is through the lens of scripture. It is grace and it is truth. But we have a lot of difficulties doing that as parents. Primarily, we, we sort of fall in one category or the other. Most of us in the room today would either be grace parents or be truth parents, right? So you're like, I'm going to lay the hammer down. I never got away with stuff, so you're not getting away with stuff. And I got this, and so you're going to get this just because, just because, just you need right? And then there's the grace side. There's the, well, you know, I just want them to know that they can always come to me, and they can be, you know, friends. And, I mean, if they're going to do that stuff, you know, if they're going to explore and do that stuff, I just want them to do it at my house. And I just, okay, that's, that's a different sermon, all right? But... What we need um, is not grace and a little bit of truth. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, all grace and no truth is hypocrisy. All truth and no grace is brutality. So what do we need? Well, we need Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, by the way, if I ever ask it right. Um, and in John chapter 1, we see the very famous verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, as a parent, do not try to balance grace and truth. You can't do that. What you can do is follow Jesus because Jesus is full of grace and truth. So here's what I want to do today. In our homes, we are creating an environment or a culture. And we've just seen, we need to think generationally. And the culture in our homes needs to be one of grace and truth, of Jesus. But we tend to fall into categories. And so what I want to do today is I want to survey grace and truth with a very simple exercise that comes from our friends from Gravity Leadership. Let's say that this line is the grace line. Okay, so it's high grace here. High grace and then high truth. So up and to the right is high grace, high truth. Beautiful culture. Um, this is low grace. And then this is low truth. Okay? When it comes to our homes as a parent, now remember, it is not your responsibility to produce godly children. You can't do that. God does that. But God is using you to do that. So it is your responsibility to make sure that your children have godly parents. What is the environment that produces a first chair child? What is the environment that we do and create to pass down the gospel? Well, there's a couple of these environments. The first one is this. If you are low grace and you are high truth, the culture that you are creating in your house is a call-out culture. Okay? So ain't nobody getting away with nothing in this house, and what he really needs is to get a J-O-B. That's what he needs, and so you're kicking in the doors, you're doing all kinds of stuff, you're bringing down the hammer, you're all up in the grill. Well, this is what you need, this, life's tough, and this is what you need, and this is what you need, but there's an underlying belief in that sort of culture. And the belief is, is that I can fix my child. I can fix my child in the call-out culture. You are low on grace and you are high in truth. And you believe that you need to blast the doors off and handle this situation right now because you think that in the end you can really fix your child. And just a quick survey, how's that going for you? Right? I call these kids slingshot kids because you put them in the sling and you crank them back the more and more and the moment they have a window of freedom, they are gone. They're gone. But what's the opposite of that? Well, if we are high grace and we are low truth, this is a hangout culture. So it goes back to that kind of what I said, you know, if they're going to do that, they're going to be here at my house. And um, I'll never forget, we had a student when I was in St. Louis and he had got with some kids and was just, he was a great kid. He was just doing dumb stuff. And so he had gotten into some stuff, and so I was there at the house talking to the parents, and, and the dad pulled me outside on the front porch, and he just kind of went, <laughs> yeah, you know, boys will be boys, you know. <laughs> I thought, you're an idiot. 
Like, is that the standard you have for your kids? Like, just, like, I'm thankful God didn't have that standard for me. Like, you'll just do, you know, what you'll do. And, and the underlying belief in this one is, um, I enable my children. In this culture, there is never going to be truth. There's never going to be a finality of a decision because it breaks your heart. Because what if they run away? And what if they never talk to me again? And what if they keep their grandkids from me? And that I'm never going to? And so it's money. It's everything dumped. High grace, no truth. But then if you get into this category of low grace and low truth, in reality, this is just checkout. This is a checkout culture. And so I don't really care. I'm just trying to do the job. I'm waiting until you're 18. You get a job and you're gone and you're out of here. And that's not my responsibility. I'm retired now. I'm doing vacation. It doesn't matter. And in the end, what you're really doing here is your goal is to avoid my child. Because ignorance is bliss. All of these cultures are broken because they try to do the balance. But the key when it comes to Jesus is what is known as this, a call-in culture. And the belief here of high grace and high truth is that I empower my child. So, for example, in the high grace and low truth category, in the enabling, they are terrified of their child to fail. So they will never allow their child to fail. So it doesn't matter. I am talking to that coach and that teacher and not my baby. Uh-uh. It's just the way I am and all this stuff because, oh, God, they can't fail, right? Um, all of us in this room know how crucial it is to learn how to fail well. It's massively important for our child to be devastated with failure. Welcome to church, right? <laughs> and then to teach them, this does not define you. You are not your performance. We love you in this home. You tried. What did you learn? All of those things. That's what takes place in a high grace and high truth sort of culture. So I would ask yourself two questions. The first one is this. What environment did I grow up in? Because there will be two results of that. When you name what environment you grew up in, the two results are A, you are doing the exact opposite of that environment to the extreme. So if you grew up in a call-out culture, by your very nature, you will inherit and create a hangout culture in your home. Or you will repeat the very same environment that you grew up in. And so when it comes to being intentional as parents, and we see all of these levels and these different cultures, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe that there is a key word that would summarize a biblical parent. And it's the word intentional. Did you see it? 
it says that here's some things that you need to teach your children, the commandments, the statutes of the Lord. And, and how are we supposed to do that? Well, when you're doing laundry, when you're riding to school, um, at night, right before bed, it's intentionality. That of being in student ministry and pastoring, when I see a home that is high grace and high truth, I always see parents that are intentional. Because most of the time, parenting happens by accident. We're responding. We're putting out fires. There's no plan. I will never forget the day that we rode home from the hospital with Roman. Our first child, you know, um, they test out the car seat and it's like they're really judging you super hardcore, that nurse. Like, you know, she's like, okay. And then they like look at your car and you're like, oh gosh, I have a dirty car. Is that, are you going to take my kid from me? Like, and there's like that heavy and I'll never forget like Courtney gets in and then Roman gets in and that nurse just looked at me and goes, all right, good luck. (laughs) And I was like, you're not coming with us? I thought you guys came to the house for like 48 and like, and then the drive home, I'm not over 15 miles an hour turning the music down, you know, right? Guys speeds by, look at that idiot right there, you know? But like we, they don't come with a manual in that sense. But what we do have is the very word of God. And what we see in God's word is that he charges us to be intentional. And I love the definition I love the definition of what being intentional means. The Oxford English Dictionary says intentional is something done deliberately, something done on purpose. It's something done on purpose. So when it comes to, um, well, here are some questions maybe for intentional parenting that will help gauge our heart today. Again, if you want boots on the ground stuff, we have all of those resources on our website. But today, I really wanted to hit the heart of the issue and handle this passage differently. I wanted you to leave with understanding, I have to pass this gospel down. And the way that I do that is I'm intentional in the way we do it. So what does that look like? Well, um, do we have a plan to regularly read the Bible as a family? And you know what? This looks different in different seasons. If you have kids that are five years old and below and you try to read the Bible, good luck. It's crazy, right? So what does that look like for you? Maybe then it's YouTube sing-along songs. Because kids, child psychology would tell you from the ages five and below, learn by rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. That's why we don't talk about Bruno, right? You guys know about that? Okay, right. Rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. So maybe it's like sing-along songs. Maybe if you're in a season where you feel like we are in the car more than we are at home, how in the world can we read the Bible? We'll put a Bible in the car. And maybe just on the ride to school, you say, hey, read whatever verse. You hand your kid the Bible and say, read some verses out loud this morning on the way to school. Or there's an audio Bible that literally reads the Bible to you, right? What does that look like? There's many options. I don't want to get particular on the options, but here's what I'm asking you. Do you have a plan for it? Secondly, do we have a plan to regularly pray together as a family? 
I believe in the beginning, that looks like very short, very intentional prayers. So we are in a season now where we are wanting our kids to pray, not us pray for them. So we want to transition out of that season where mom and dad do all the praying and we want you to pray. Or maybe it's a season where instead of asking God to give you stuff, we're praying for other people. Listen, at the end of the day, do you have a set time and a plan for that? And it looks different in different seasons. How about this? Do we have a plan to initiate our children into manhood or womanhood? This is huge. Um, Because guess what? If you don't have a plan for your teenage boy to be initiated into manhood, his friends have a plan, and it's in the locker room, and it involves a website on a phone or some images that you would not approve of. Listen, if you don't have a plan, the world has a great plan for your children. What does it look like for your daughter to understand what it is to be a woman of God? Just personally, not to get into too much detail, we have plans for our kids at certain ages. I want Roman to be around godly men when he turns 16. And I want these men to read into his life, Roman, this is who I see you to be. And this is who God has made you to be and initiate him into that. Jesus had that with his father. It was at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do we have plans for that? Or how about some more of these questions? Do we regularly talk about God in our home? Again, this can look different in different seasons. One of the things that I think is so important is that it doesn't have to be serious all the time. We got to talk about God right now. Oh, God, right? What if you're eating Baskin Robbins? Praise be to God for ice cream and sherbet, right? And you know what we say? Man, we love ice cream in our family, don't we? Amen, yes, we do. And do you know who created um, our taste buds so that we could taste this ice cream? God did. And do you know why God gave us ice cream? So we could enjoy ice cream and say, thanks, God. This is a sign that I know that it bubbles up to you. See, here's the disconnect. When our kids begin to worship the creation rather than the creator, that's the great lie. So everything that we have in our life, pleasure, money, friends, all of those things, we are to teach our kids that God has given us these things so we can worship him. In movies, when something is taught or something happens, Like, here's a great example to continue with the Encanto um, line of thought, right? Um, The train of thought in that Disney movie is monalism. It's to worship the creation, that everything is one. Everything we need comes from this. There's no creator, but there's creation. And so we pause the TV and we just talk about that. Or do we regularly share the gospel with our children? Guys, this can happen when you're watching an Avengers movie. And do you know why I think this doesn't happen? It's because we as parents don't know the gospel. And then we say, oh God, why doesn't church have this program? And why don't these programs, oh please talk to my kid, please talk to my kid. Please listen to me. The church of Jesus Christ is on this earth not to replace you. 
and to have your responsibility as a parent, it is here to walk alongside you as a parent. Not to raise your children, but to assist you in raising your children. And every story has this line. There are people who need saving. And somebody comes from somewhere else, Superman, Thor, Iron Man, comes from outside and comes and walks among us and lays down his life for us that we might be saved. Man, that sounds like the gospel story. Because didn't you know that Jesus was in heaven and he left the glory of heaven and became a human being and Jesus lays down his life for us. It's literally to just saturate all the time whenever we can to talk about these things. Or how about the last thing? Do we regularly share how we as parents fell in love with Jesus? I think this is crucial. And do you know when I think this is the most crucial? when they're grown. That day, mom and dad who has kids and grandkids, that when you go out to lunch with your daughter and your son and tears fill in their eyes because they're trying to do the job and they're trying to do all of this and life is beating them down and you know exactly what it feels like in that moment and you look at them and you say, hey, I don't think I've ever told you this before, but did you know that me and your mom didn't know the Lord. And then we went to church and God saved us and that's when we started to... Now, I think you need to be careful at some point about sharing some aspects of your story. But listen, do they know the story? Do they know the story? That's what we're passing down. It is not your responsibility to produce godly children. It is your responsibility to see that your children have godly parents. And then at that point, do you know what I think parenting's really like in closing? I think parenting's like this. Let's say that this is your child's heart, okay? And that's what we're after. We're after our child's heart. Listen, we are not after behavior modification. We are not after little right kids that just obey all the time. And then who die and spend eternity apart from Jesus, but at least they weren't rebellious. That was the Pharisees. The Pharisees on the outside did everything right, but on the inside, their heart was dead to the things of God. What we cannot do as parents is make our child's heart come alive to the things of God. That is only the work of the Spirit of God. Jonah chapter 1, salvation is of the Lord. John chapter 3, the, the Spirit blows where it wishes. John chapter 14 verse 6, that no one can come to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God draws our children unto himself. So then what are we doing? When we live these certain ways and we parent this certain way, if those things don't quote-unquote save our kids, then what's the point of it? Well, I think it's like this. Our child's heart, we can't save, we can't regenerate that heart. But when we read that Bible and when at night we pray 
we're putting a log around their heart. And then when they get older and they fail and they get their heart broken and something traumatic happens and we love them and we hug them and we say your worth in this family is not defined by that. And then when they get older and they have kids and it's so difficult and I'm trying and you keep praying, you keep doing all of these things, inevitably what we're doing every time we obey God is we're putting these logs around the heart. So in that moment, when the Spirit of God blows where it wills, and that little tiny spark ignites in their heart, they have all of this around their heart, that their heart would burn bright and aflame for the things of God. This is my story. I had great parents and I was so rebellious. I went to Christian school, I did all of these things and I couldn't remember a lick of Sunday school or any of that stuff. And the moment that God breathed life into my heart, it was like all of those seeds were dormant on my heart. I can still quote Bible verses that I memorized but had no idea about and what they meant. Listen, we can't save our children, but what we can do is we can put these logs and this fuel around their heart so when God ignites it, it burns bright. I know oftentimes for us as parents, it can get so overwhelming to pray for our kids and we don't even know what to pray or what to say. Whenever Roman was born, I wrote a prayer there in the church lobby that hung in his room for a while. This will be on our social media. And we, I just want to give this maybe as a springboard for you. If you have a prayer, if you pray for your kid, that's awesome and that's great. But it goes like this. And, and, and I would touch those parts of their little head and their little hands. And I would say, we pray for your head to be transformed by God's word. And we pray for your little heart to be saved and to have a heart of flesh. We pray for your hands to do the work of the kingdom. We pray for your feet to be beautiful feet that carry the good news. And we pray for you to be a godly young man or a godly young woman, to be tough to take on the world and to be tender to love people. It's not your responsibility to produce godly children, but it is your responsibility to walk in the ways in which God has commanded you. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today, many of us in this room with heavy hearts. God, I know that in a room this size with this many people, there is heartache in this room. For parents who see their kids struggling, maybe wondering, maybe straying, maybe struggling. It doesn't matter what it is. And God, there's not a parent in this room who for a second would say, put me in their place. I'll go through hell so they don't have to experience that. And the hardest thing for us as parents to understand sometimes is that you've given us these kids as a gift, that they are not ours that we cannot save them. 
And so what I pray, God, is I pray against the enemy, his workers and their effects. If there is guilt, if there is shame, that those shackles would be broken today. And God, I pray that there would be a light that dawns in their heart and mind. That they would see the beauty of the gospel they would pass the story. God, I pray that this church, that West Side Church in Popper Bluff, Missouri, those kids back there, those kids in here, that this church would produce first chair children. God, we are praying not for this generation, but for the next generation and the generation after. God, as one preacher has said, the greatest thing that some of us will do as parents is not what we do, but who we raise for the kingdom of God. God, I pray that the kids that you have have entrusted with us, that we would steward in such a way that they would take the gospel to the end of the earth. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And may we first understand what it is to be a parent, that we have to be a child of you. That's it. Before we ever parent our children, we come to our Father as a child. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.